Hey, everybody. It's Jay Baer, founder of Convince and Convert, and this is the Social Pros Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is Adam Brown. Jay, this was a fun show. Now, when we talk about the corporate entity of the uh, that, that employs the uh, the guest of today's show, Akko Brands, Echo people Brand. go, eh, what's Akko Brands? But then when you talk about swing line staplers, i.e. the office, you talk about mead, you talk about daytimers, which I'm a personal fan of, but most importantly, trapper keepers, at least for some of our older uh, listeners. Bringing a trapper keeper to school in grade school. Absolutely. Also, uh, Echo Brands makes Kensington. So you may have a Kensington mouse or a Kensington uh, lock on your computer. They make a lot of stuff. But really here's do. the crazy thing about this week's episode, Adam. So this, these brands uh, started in 1903 as a paperclip company. A paperclip company. Paper now they've got dozens of brands uh, selling all kinds of different stuff. Essentially, Everything that goes in your office that doesn't plug in, they make. It's almost like the, uh, the Office Depot or Staples. It's everything in the middle. Yes, you know, everything in the middle aisles. It's not the, it's not the, it's not chairs, the heavy chairs on the chairs. right or the right. reams of paper on the left, but it's everything, everything else. else. Yeah, it's so true. But what's amazing about this is you've got this collection of brands, historic brands, heritage brands, but yet still modern. You go buy one right now. Have never done any social until recently. Yeah. Have never done any social until recently. Any social. So on this week's episode of the Social Pros Podcast, we talked to Ted Fay, who's the Vice President of Digital Marketing for all the Aqua brands about how, why, where, and what they are launching a social media program from scratch and how they look at ROI and that initiative. It is a fascinating conversation. It's pretty rare, Adam, we get a chance these days to talk to a major collection of brands that just hasn't done social yet and are kind of getting a start here in 2018. Amazing, amazing show. It's the social origins story. It really is. Also, friends, Ted, who you're going to hear from in just a second, made a fantastic offer. As we said, they sell all this stuff, stuff you might need on your own desk or for your kids or back to school uh, in the fall. If you go to ataglance.com, ataglance.com, use the promo code socialpros, you get 20% off all the stuff that Echo sells. How great is that? You're making money on this week's episode. <laughs> That's a bonus. You can't afford to not listen to this week's episode of Social Pros Podcast is, is the truth. So without further ado, let's hear from Ted Fay, VP at Echo Brands. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one -one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hey, friends, before we get to today's episode, I'm just thinking about the two things that are absolutely required for the success of this show. One, 
you, the Social Pros listener. And thanks to each and every one of you for listening to the show for now more than eight years. And to our fantastic sponsors, which this week include Salesforce Marketing Cloud. You know, social is more important than ever for B2B marketers, yet sometimes it can be confusing on how to apply B2C principles to B2B, how to measure success, which channels to use, etc. There's a new book from our friends at Salesforce that can help you figure all that out. It's really great. Tons of information, lots of uh, stuff on how to do social listening better in B2B, how to measure results better in B2B, which channels to use in B2B. It's really comprehensive, and it doesn't cost you anything. You can download it right now for nothing. Go to bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social B2B guide and get the complete guide to social media for B2B marketers from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Also, this week, the show is brought to you by ICUC. They've just put together an amazing offer for social pros listeners like you. Check this out. You can go to their site and you can get a free seven-day access to monitor up to 50 of your business locations and see exactly how your business is doing on online search, local reputation, monitor and uh, take a look at your competitors and how they're doing as well, and a bunch of other features. It is a boffo offer. It's really great. Go to icuc.social. Okay, it's not .com. It's .social. Letter I, letter C, letter U, letter C, .social slash audit. icuc.social slash audit. You're going to learn something. I guarantee it. Download it right after the show and get started. It's going to be great. And as always, this week's episode is brought to you by Convince and Convert Consulting. If you need help with your social strategy, that's all we do. We do it for the most interesting brands in the world, and I think we can help you too. Go to convinceandconvert.com. And now, this week's episode of the Social Pros Podcast. Ted Fay, Vice President of Digital Marketing from Echo Brands, joins us this week on the Social Pros Podcast. Ted, thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about Echo Brands. It's a fascinating company because you have a lot of brands, uh, primarily in the in the office supplies and, and organizational category, but you guys own a bunch of different stuff and it's a, a really interesting company history as well. Could you take a, a minute or two and, and just let Social Pros listeners know uh, kind of how Echo Brands came to be in the, in the scope and scale of uh, your operation, please? Sure, not a problem. So Echo Brands, Echo stands for the American Clip Company. So we actually started out... Uh, gosh, over 100 years ago in Chicago, manufacturing wire paper clips. <clears throat> and since that time, we've grown, starting in the office environment and expanding there into retail and e-commerce, essentially focused on selling all of the products that you use around your home, school, or work desk that don't plug in, broadly speaking. So it's everything from paper planners to notepads to filing products to whiteboards, which is a, our Quartet Whiteboards brand is a, is a massively growing marketplace. Everyone uses whiteboards for communication, to binding equipment, to laminating equipment, supplies. Really, it's all the non-technological products um, in most offices. We've grown through both um, acquisition as we've acquired different brands, and we've also grown through uh, organic growth, standing up new brands and standing up new marketplaces. One of the technical brands we also purchased that many of your users are more familiar with is our Kensington brand, which is our folks that designed the Kensington locks, mice, um, and computer accessories products. That's another one of our brands that fits really in that non-computer, non-office furniture category that uh, we strive to uh, be a leader in. In most of our markets, we're uh, we're a pretty sizable market share. It's it's remarkable to me 
that it's true. You you actually make everything that doesn't plug in in your office. I'm just sort of like looking around my desk. I'm like, yep, they make that, and they make that, and they make that. You make the very famous swing line stapler, which is you know the star of the movie Office Space, among among other things. Uh, it, it's got to be really really fun. One of the questions that that and I'll talk about this from a digital standpoint more so than social, at least to start off with, is because you have so many brands. Do you Ted have fully separate? Uh, digital strategies, website, email, social, et cetera, for each of those brands? Or do you lump them together by by common type? So you've got multiple sort of paper planner brands. Do you sort of run those as, as, a, as a cooperative or do they each have their own fully separate digital program? They don't each have a fully separate digital program, but we do treat, treat each brand as a distinct entity. Um, we think the value, and we know the value is within the brand, what that brand's engagement with the consumer is, what the consumer expects from it, how it gets to Delivered what its product line represents. So within some categories, for instance, paper planning, we actually have four or five different brands from daytime or an at-a-glance to need planning products to five-star planning products to some sub-brands like Day Runner. For any one market, we don't think it's our position to pull them all together and to try and be a quote-unquote office superstore. Some of our best customers already do that for us. Amazon does it for us, Walmart does it for us, Staples, Office Depot. Those are the customers that pull together all of our products along with other products to offer the customer a full suite of digital, excuse me, of office products. What we see our digital strategy, and what we're really in the midst of evolving toward, is our digital strategy needs to be able to reach out to those customers and those consumers and articulate what our brand stands for tell them why they should care about the brand, the category, the products, and then offer them the opportunity to buy from us directly or more often than not, they're going to buy it from their retailer or their uh, commerce channel of choice. But we need to create that web presence and that online presence as a digital hub to tell people why they should care about the swing line stapler, why, why a product that their great-grandfather had on his desk is one that they should probably have on their desk today. And people are proud to have it on their desk today. And Ted, I would guess uh, with, especially with your, your printed, you know, daytimers. And again, I, I call it daytimer because I've always used the daytimer brand. It's a ubiquitous one, but brands like daytimers and at a glance, uh, a big key part of what you're doing is really trying to build loyalty so that, you know, around November, December of one year, you're trying to get me to go back into my uh, Staples or my Office Depot or going to uh, to atglance.com and and buying the next year's uh, edition of that. Curious kind of how you kind of build that loyalty and also you're in a situation where you have products that are almost competing with each other. I mean, you know, in terms of the printed day parts, are you pretty laissez-faire with brands in terms of how you allow their messaging to go or Again, the loyalty kind of serves its purpose and drives all the brands simultaneously. So I'll start, I'll start at the uh, loyalty part. Um, the loyalty is a key component. And there's a few ways that we address that. First of all, it, it starts with the product and the consumer experience, right? So, so is the product what they're expecting from us year in and year out? People that buy paper planners, especially those that come back year after year, have pretty high expectations for everything from how it gets delivered to their home, to the paper quality, to the cover quality, to what do we do if, you know, it occasionally happens the page is printed incorrectly. Well, we focus on those things because there's nothing worse than writing in a, in a notebook or a planner and having it bleed through, right? So we focus on the paper quality and how it interacts with the ink and how it presents itself to the end user. 
Um, and our years of experience with the users and getting the direct feedback from them allows us to provide that kind of product experience. It then moves up from there, um, everything from packaging to how we represent the products online really kind of cements that consumer experience, including if they're buying it from us directly, how we fulfill that order, how quickly we get it out to them and how we make it available to them. It's interesting when you talk about, you know, if they're coming back every November, December, if you're coming back in November, December, you're probably late yeah. um, for us. <laughs> I've learned we, that. We've have, um, we actually have uh, customers. We could sell planners for 2020 today if we printed them. Wow. Um, our, our customers are so loyal. They're, they're, they're optimistic. They're optimistic, but they're planners. I mean, yeah, that's right. Planning, it's in the name. Right? They're obviously planners. They're, the <laughs> they're buying that's, a that's planner. They well, I think it's, it's just about the, the kind of the idea of competitiveness. Now, I think as you articulated, Ted, the, you're very loyal to a particular brand. I mean, you, you know that daytime or green, and you know, you know how it, it handles the nine to five and the, and the hours after that, and you get very loyal to how you sketch that out. But being a company you know, like yours, and, and like many's, I mean, when I was at Coca-Cola, we had you know, over 300 brands all competing for you know, to hydrate you. But I was interested in how you kind of market or not market against each other. Or again, as you said, allow the, uh, the retailers to do that. Well, it's a little bit of segmentation and, and it's also in product positioning. It's also what the product delivers. So um, Daytimer has a very specific function within the world. It's, it's, it's actually what you call an organizer, but it's targeted a very specific kind of user who's a very detailed person um, getting involved in, in their, in their uh, planning activities. They want to track their, their activities very closely. They want to retain the information for a long time. There's long time storage information that goes there. So we segment a lot of the marketing and the activities um, around that particular type of user. At a glance, is a little bit more broad of a use. And then as you, as you go down, five stars more targeted at the student and, and, the, and the early graduate. And, and, and need is kind of the everyday, all-purpose brand. So it's targeted not only from a price point, but also from how the product's built, how it's structured. To even uh, shelf placement, there are some retailers bars that may only carry one of the brands, and others will actually carry all the brands, the top shelf being our premium brand, walking all the way down to the shelf to a more value-oriented or uh, broad consumer-focused brand. One of the things I was really excited about in the back-to-school uh, season uh, this, this last year was uh, going into Staples and seeing uh, Trapper Keepers back and i don't know if they ever went away or not jay you remember trapper keepers i had a trapper trapper keeper keeper, i had a star wars trapper keeper with with chewbacca on the cover lord knows how much that thing would be worth today in the collectibles market (laughs) but uh, it was great to see uh and said my seven-year-old kind of resonated back you've got brands like that that have been around for decades and decades and decades yeah did trapper keeper ever go away or is it something that i just because i wasn't in the uh, the mindset to purchase it i just didn't see when i walked down the uh, the aisle at, at my local office supply store probably when you got to high school it, it probably disappeared from your point of view right because it's definitely targeted at a certain demographic and then as, right. and as people come back to the category um, through their kids or, or or nieces and nephews they start to experience it again it never really went away. Um, it's, it's positioning and its focus has changed a little bit. And it's become part, more part of a larger um, five-star brand, which is our brand that's really focused at the, um, at the durable all year. You know, our, the, the, the tagline for five stars is that it's going to last all year long. It's to target that customer who's looking for the products that they're going to buy for their student or the student's going to buy for themselves. It'll last them throughout the entire school year. And so Trapper Keeper is 
is very kind of a specific set of products within a larger family of things that includes backpacks and notebooks and other types of organizers that uh, kind of fulfill that whole student experience. But yeah, Trapper Keeper is one of those that uh, for a whole, a whole batch of people of a certain age, um, they, they certainly have an emotional attachment back to it. You know, when we look at, at the potential for social media for our brands, um, those are some of the things that, we, that we're hoping to be able to tap into because the engagement and the storytelling and the experiences that we know that customers have had with our brands and that they share with us about our brands is phenomenal. And, and we just want to be able to go back and retell them out to other people to have that story resonate with them because we've got a great story. And these people, as you are, you are, they're passionate about these products and these brands. Yeah, it's it's funny. Half of our audience is like, "What is he talking about? What is a trap? What is a trapper keeper?" Right? Trapper? They're like googling. They're googling this right now. Pausing the show. Uh, right. Yeah, send send me a note. It's it's great though, Ted. You're exactly right about the the nostalgia and the storytelling because it's such a it's such an integral part of your life, especially as a, a young student. Right? It's one of the few things. Your backpack, your trapper keeper, your lunchbox are the things that you have right. with every single day. That's the list. That's the entire list, right? And right. remember every lunchbox you had, every backpack you had, and every trapper keeper you had. And so I, I want you to talk to the audience here about something I find absolutely fascinating. I know Adam does as well. You're this collection of historic, uh, important brands. And here we are halfway through 2018. And largely, social media has not historically been part of, of the brand communication program. But now... You, you are starting to kind of spin up social media strategies and social media programs for some of these brands. Uh, and it's interesting to sort of take a, a swing at that here in 2018. Uh, what, does that, what does that look like and how do you even go about starting social right now? So the opportunity for us with social media really fits into a, a larger uh, change in the marketplace. If you think about where most manufacturers um, and distributors like ACO have been in the past, our efforts and our marketing efforts and our uh, drive to connect with the consumers was through a combination of working with the commercial salespeople who represented our products. So they were office equipment dealers and they were your um, office superstore sales teams. And then also working with retailers to getting the product on the shelf. So we didn't really participate in a lot of direct-to-consumer engagement activities because our efforts were focused on making sure that when you walked into the store on um, back to school season and you went to buy the product, the trapper keeper was front and center on the shelf. You bought it, you had a great, uh, great product experience with it. So the next year you would buy it again. As the world shifts and, and, and your audience knows this terribly well, as the world has shifted to an online environment, the opportunity to drive the retail shelf or the salesperson as your primary consumer experience um, has started to disappear. So the consumers are starting to first experience and investigate and look for the product online, get their research, get connected with it, maybe even discover the whole category for the first time online. Um, and so we're in the midst of a pretty uh, fundamental change within, that many companies are going through, but within our organization, to shift our marketing focus to from being just focused on driving product and, and marketing information through our channels to actually trying to connect with our consumers directly in a digital fashion. And then by doing that, we can educate them about the category, we can educate them about the product line, we can educate them about our brand, 
and then let them choose how and where they want to buy it. Um, it's not an it's not our goal is not to say, hey, come and buy it from us directly. Our goal is to say, if you're looking for back to school products, we've got a good story to tell you. And when you go into Staples or Office Depot or Walmart, or you go online to any of those places or Amazon or your local office equipment dealer, any place else, when you see our products on the shelf, you have already experienced them online. If you buy them online, you'll certainly be able to do that either from us or through one of our e-tail partners. Social has a huge part to play in that, not just from an advertising perspective where we want to be able to tell the relevant message to the right audience, which social certainly allows you to do. We want to be able to engage with those people, have discussions with them. Why do you like the product? How do you use the product? And we're starting to see that social really expands far beyond what most people look as the traditional social channels of Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you go to something like Reddit and just search whiteboards, you get a list of just a ton of images of all the people and all the creative stuff they do on whiteboards. That's a, that's a place that we should be participating as a category leader there and communicating with those people and getting their feedback on where we should go and providing them ideas and just learning about how people, how people uh, engage with our products every day. We have product reviews that come in through our different review platforms. That's another part of social because those people are providing us one-to-one -one feedback about how they're experiencing our products. And then we have the opportunity to respond to that. And that's something that we just haven't done enough of. And that's one of the things we're trying to build is that one-to-one -one consumer engagement that provides not only a brand loyalty, but provides us information and steers how we might market the product, how other products we might build in the future. Ted, I love that strategy uh, of, of using social because in many instances, you have products that people, unlike other consumables, aren't buying every day or every week. In some cases, they're buying them every month. And as you said, as you transition from, you know, whether it's a back to school or September, October, going through your bookstore, going through your office supply store and looking at the calendars, you don't really realize kind of the, the, the choices until you actually see them there on the wall when you're, when you're pushing down. That's a little bit more difficult you know, when you go to Amazon or even you go to Walmart. As, as good as the online merchandising is, it's still not as good as actually seeing it kind of in the flesh, especially for a product like yours that you've got to touch and feel. It's interesting, I think, also in understanding that you're really wanting uh, customers to, to purchase through the channels and the outlets that they've purchased through in the past. I know you have um, you know, a couple of, of your, own, uh, your own websites where you are doing commerce. How do you balance that with, uh, with actually doing the transactions with your, your retailers? Um, it's pretty simple. It's actually today, it's pretty simple. I think uh, a few years ago, you would have experienced a certain amount of, I'm from the East Coast, so I'll say Ajita, um, over from our channels if we started to bring more traffic into our websites and present more of our products digitally to consumers. But what the channels, the smart channels, and really all the channels are starting to realize this, is that the channel has to offer their value, and, mo and, and by the vast majority of them do. And so when they're coming to us, they're coming to us to get that, that manufacturer level of information to really understand how the manufacturer positions it. But if they're a member of an online buying club, if they are going to buy a suite of products, some of them not terribly aligned with us, um, if they're looking for same-day delivery from a provider who has same-day delivery, that's not where we sit from a fulfillment perspective, nor is there our objective. Our objective is to make sure they understand our product and can do it, and then let them fulfill the channel of their choice. Um, so if you look at 
an Amazon Prime member that gets, you know, two, three, four, five boxes a week from Amazon Prime, if they're coming to our website, they're coming there for research, not to purchase. But then they go to Amazon, look it up, and purchase it. If they're a, a target shopper and they're on our website, they're going to look at it and get all the information. But in the back of their head, they're going to say, you know, I think they have that in the stationary aisle on Target. The next time I'm in, they're going to pick that up. And then they're going to do that. And that's that's a perfect experience for us. That has, that's a, a great retail plus online experience that, that we know happens. We know people go to our retailer sites, look at the product, pick it up, search it online, come back to our manufacturer site, do the research there, go back to the retailer site and fulfill it. That's great. We want to set up our digital presence to be that opportunity to communicate with that customer. And some of that research just doesn't happen on our website. This, you know, this is the show is about social. It's also about what they see in the social suite um, and what they're seeing in the different places out there to get the feedback from people to understand how the products work. I think there's so many things that you just said that I would I want to unpack because uh, I think there were some really good nuggets of of wisdom there. Retailers right now are, are dealing with the challenge of showrooming, where people will walk into Best Buy, see the product, and then pull out their iPhone and actually buy it on Amazon or, or another online retailer as they sit there in, in the store. And in your case, you're, you're kind of celebrating that. You're saying, listen, we want people to even come to our house, our site and look, look at a product and then buy it online. In those types of situations, I'm guessing that ROI is a little bit trickier thing to, uh, to measure. And, and one of the things that you shared with us before the show was how you see ROI being really important, but it's not just return on investment, but it's also return on influence. And I really like that, that concept. And I'm curious if you could share how you see return on influence as it relates to digital and social marketing. So I think the, 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 um, at the basic ROI level, and then we'll ladder up to the influence side, there is, a, there is a component of our direct marketing where we do expect a certain return on, on transactions on our site. But the goal there is one of growth, growth of engagement, growth of consumers um, staying on our site, staying in our social media platforms, resharing with us, commenting back to us. And we know we will be able to measure that back with in-store sales and, and, and product sales throughout our, our, our e-commerce experience. Um, and what we're hoping to do as we start to roll out our new social strategies is rather than do them very broadly, to pick kind of unique products or unique categories that we can measure against. Um, we have a really neat new product that, that we sell that's a small little whiteboard that fits underneath your computer monitor. It's kind of a little note-taking device slash pen storage slash place to put the sticky notes so you don't get your monitor all filled with them. And it, it really fits today's uh, techni- technical environment and, and the ability to just kind of quickly remind yourself of things. And it's a product that we just introduced. And so we know that if we can get that out of the social sphere, get people to pick up, start talking about it, we'll be able to watch not only the sales that come back, us, come back to us directly, but also start to see demand for it in some of our other channels. And that's one that we can track. It's certainly hard to track the impact of social against a brand like Daytimer Sales. I mean, we're selling millions of planners and millions of pages of planners every year. It's hard to say that social is going to impact that one way or the other. It's an important part of it. But there's so many other factors there. Those, those would be harder to manage, to measure. Ted, when you jump into social for these brands and start to execute on this ROI strategy, how, how do you staff for that? Do you, do you think, 
all right, we need to have somebody in social who's doing content, somebody else who's doing engagement, or do you do it by channel? Somebody's got to sort of monitor Reddit and Twitter. Do you do it by brand? Uh, how do you think about sort of the org chart for social and how it fits in into digital uh, when you're kind of starting from from scratch for all intents and purposes as you are today? Sure. So we're, we're approaching it um, from a um, we just from a restructure of our entire marketing organization, and what we did is we built. We built a new structure that kind of starts on with the product teams. They're responsible primarily for their product lines, their brands, the brand story, who we're targeting. They know who should buy this product, how it should be used, all of that. Then, in, then at the other side of the equation, um, the delivery to the customer side, we've got our channel marketing and our direct e-commerce teams that are responsible for ensuring the product gets sold. We see the responsibility in the middle um, to be a digital marketing team. So what we're starting, we're going through like a crawl, walk, run approach. What we're starting with is digital marketing managers who are by necessity a bit of jack of all trades people, um, but they'll be a digital marketing person per brand. Then their responsibility is to take that brand story that needs to be told in that product story, create a content calendar that needs to be told, and then determine the platform to tell it in. I don't see social as a channel unto itself. I see the content and the story that you need to tell is the one that needs to be articulated and laid out. And then you do, then determine, great, what's the channels you're going to use to communicate that story? Does it need to go out on your website? Does it need to go out to third-party blogs? Do you need to get it out in public relations? Do you need to get it out in social? Often it's a mix of all of those. Sure. So we're starting out with a digital marketing person, and they're going to be focused either per category or per brand. And that's because that's our starting point. That's what we've got today. I certainly see that scaling up and probably twisting on its head over the next 12 to 18 months, um, where we'll look to add more people responsible for day-to-day social management, but they should still fit within that brand because... I find it hard when you get a dedicated social person trying to serve multiple categories and multiple brands, being able to maintain a voice and an expertise and a responsiveness necessary to talk to someone who's buying a paper planner who's really concerned about the quality of the paper, all the way then to someone who's buying an insulated backpack for school. The stories, the needs, the audience you're talking to are just very different. I would find it hard for an employee to make that shift. So we'll try to keep that within a category or a, or a brand group to focus on. In social and telling more of these stories across brands in multiple social channels, does that require even more cooperation with your retail partners? I mean, are you having to say, here's what we're planning in Facebook and here's what Staples is planning in Facebook and, and, and do some of that kind of co-op social programs uh, and, and does that add another layer of sort of integration and complexity that, that perhaps you didn't have to deal with before you dove into social? So at this point in time, we're, we, we don't see a ton of uh, need at this point in time for coordination because often there, our channel partners' communications are more, are more broad-based. They're talking about the season, right? Come back to back-to-school season. They're talking about come back to... Um, it's time to buy office supplies in the spring, which is a big time, late, late, late winter, early spring for office supplies. Um, it's time to buy your calendars at the end of the year. They're often, our channel partners don't often get into social media programs about particular brands with very specific categories. 
But they will look to us if we start providing this high-level content. They will certainly look to us to be able to share it back with them. And we'd love to. You know, this isn't a, a jealous thing. We think that if we can drive our categories well um, and drive growth with our channel partners, it's a win-win situation for everybody. Ted, I know you also, as, as VP of Digital Marketing, uh, lead direct marketing uh, there at, at Echo Brands. And I'm curious how direct marketing, uh, in your opinion, is evolving and, and changing with all the attention that the social has gotten over the past years. Are you, are you able to see any alignment of the two? I mean, whether it's using social kind of as listening insights for, uh, for direct marketing or, or trying to do more direct marketing via social with, with notifications and alerts. Great question. So, um, yes, we've had, we have a very robust um, direct marketing program that's been built over the years. Um, and it's, it's often been uh, focused on some brands that historically grew up in the direct marketing category. We talked about Daytimer earlier, which started really as a direct marketing um, catalog-based brand. And, and it's, a, it's a solid program. And it's, a, it's an interesting one because it's one that... Um, has some tenets of, of an old process that you would think wouldn't work very well. For instance, direct mail is still a very big part of that because it's consumers respond to it. Some of them are conditioned to it, um, but it just works. It works really well when you can send someone notice to let them know that in the mail that it's time to reorder your calendar. The next years are available. And they just react to it differently than they would to an email. And it's nice to see that that's still a strong part of it. On the flip side, social is a real important part of it because there are consumers that we can't reach or don't want to be reached through direct mail or email. And so we use social as a way to not only advertise products, but also to reach out to those customers who we can't reach or, or, or don't prefer to receive messages through other channels to connect with them. Um, and we do use them for feedback on our direct-to-consumer uh, fulfillment process. And they provide reviews or they provide feedback in the social channels. That goes right back into our operations team and our product development team to update our process to understand here's how we can do things better. Um, we are not um, yet at a, a stage where social is drives a lot of organic growth for our uh, direct marketing programs, but that's uh, something we're hoping to obtain in the, uh, in the coming months and years. I know one uh, social channel that's I would think it would be important in your space that we haven't talked a little bit about is Pinterest. And when you think about how people you know, use and visualize you know, content, and, and again, Pinterest being about organization probably uh, behooves the, uh, the, the planner or the organizer uh, who's a, probably a big consumer of your brand. Any thoughts on, on Pinterest? And is that fitting into your overall social strategy? We're really excited about Pinterest. We've got uh, we've got a lot of plans this year and programs that we've already kicked off for this year, and, and we're uh, we're real excited what Pinterest holds for the future for us. Um, there's a a, a, comp a large component of our products that are sold um, with very much of a fashion uh, type eye. People are buying some of our products as accessories. Um, how it looks um, on their desk, how it looks in their hand, how it looks when they sit in front of someone and open it up. Or they just like a, a fun-looking cover to their, to their notebook or their planner, or their stapler, um, or their stapler. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Our gold stapler was a was a was a very popular item for quite some time. So we, we see Pinterest and in, in, in the visual opportunity to just quickly get people to understand how that product fits in the context of uh, of a broader fashion appeal. A very important part. It's also a great audio, a great uh, medium for some of our audiences. 
teachers are a really important audience for us at ACO. If you think about just if you have a kid or if you've been a kid and you sit there in the classroom and the teacher has a planner and they've got a desk calendar and there's a wall calendar and there's a, a swing line cutter and there's a, a swing line stapler and in the back of the room there might be a, a, a shredder and there's a quartet whiteboard and maybe a GVC laminator in the corner and a GVC document camera. That's an audience we want to talk to. And teachers go to Pinterest to share ideas, to look about new ways to decorate their classroom, to, to understand how, to, how other teachers are using some of these tools. So we just launched a new series of products we call Interactive Notebooks. And that we're launching with a heavy focus on Pinterest so we can connect with the teachers. So the teachers can see how to use it and then recommend to their parents to buy that interactive notebook and then have the parents go to the channel to buy it. And that's one of these kind of perfect loop stories of, of our direct marketing efforts through social media. We connect with the teachers so they can recommend the product to the parents. The parents can go to the retail store to purchase it. And it all started with a social connection that we did directly. And it wasn't even to the end user. So it's kind of a, it's a very interesting model to try and try and build. Now that is an interesting model. It reminds me of, of some of the discussions, at least I've had as, as a Salesforce person with some of our customers. I, I think of a, one of the world's largest toy manufacturers and how they're recognizing that a customer who might buy some of their preschool toys will very soon be a kindergartner and then an elementary school and then a preteen and a teen and, and so forth. And they're, they're looking for ways to share data between those, those different different silos. Ted, one of the things you, you mentioned uh, before was before becoming VP of digital marketing for ACO Brands, you, you started with uh, the Daytimer brand itself. And I'm curious kind of how you got to, uh, to your role today and, and kind of what were those kind of key steps that, that, that got you to uh, an executive level position there at ACO? So I joined ACO um, just a couple of years ago. I joined ACO um, really to head up the marketing, the, the digital marketing efforts um, for the direct organization. What the focus there was, was to ensure that what we sold directly through our digital platforms was connecting in the right fashion, was used, had the right business process around it, um, and really kind of had a forward-looking view. And what, um, what kind of led to the role today was really working across the entire organization as opposed to working within the silo of this direct sales organization, reaching across the aisle, working across the organization to say, hey, this is a lot bigger than us trying to sell more products directly. We need to find ways to go out and communicate with the customers directly and, and, and started telling this story that we talked about earlier in the, in the discussion. But we need to connect with our consumers directly, tell them the story about the products, and then let them choose where they want to buy. It's not our desire or our opportunity or, or our right to go out and tell the customer where to buy the product, but we should certainly be advertising our product more effectively. That was realized in the organization something we needed to do. And it was also, um, we were trying to address the problem of having multiple web properties and multiple marketing efforts, whether it was a direct marketing effort, a brand marketing effort, and sometimes a channel marketing effort that weren't terribly well coordinated. So now we're trying to bring those all together and coordinate them in one fashion. Before all of that, Ted Fay, VP Digital Marketing at Echo Brands, you were a fencer at the University of Notre Dame. So I want to hear about your fencing career <laughs> and whether you feel your, your background uh, as a swordsman uh, has assisted you in the rough and tumble world of digital marketing and now social media. That was, that was a long time ago. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but 
But you know something? It, 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 it did. It really did. Everyone takes different experiences out of their uh, out, of, out of their collegiate experience, and I learned more in the time I spent in the gym and the time I spent fencing than probably in any of the classes I took while I was at school. I had the unique opportunity to fence on a team that was a national championship and also fence a number of times in the national championships. Hey, hey. well done, Ted. All right, hey, Adam, if we ever get in some sort of a fight with uh, Ted Bay, make sure that there's no uh, swords or rapiers or whatever uh, around. Yeah. Yeah, nothing sharp. That's right. That's right. Keep the letter openers away. But the, the neat opportunity there was really this combination of uh, fencing is one of those sports that is this combination of clearly individual focus. You have to be training yourself. You have to, you're out there on your own. Your efforts are, are, are win-loss of what you're doing on the strip at that moment. And yet the work you're doing ladders up to all the points that the team is trying to earn. So you could be the champion of the day until and still have your team lose. You go completely undefeated on the day and your team finishes in last place. And so it's this combination of individual efforts that wind up stacking up to a team result. And um, it, it was a lesson that, that, that was learned well, that I can do well on my own, but unless I help everybody else around me raise their game, become better at what they're doing, my success isn't going to go anywhere. And, um, and that's, that's, that lesson has served me very well throughout my uh, corporate Well, I love that. Lesson. Yeah, that's super great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ted. And congratulations on the, on, the, on the success with the pointy object. That's pretty, that's pretty special. I think that's the first uh, uh, semi-professional national champion fencer we've had on the show. And we've had 325 episodes or something, Adam. So that's, you know, that's a long list. Statistically, it was bound to happen. Eventually, we've had Nick Cicero on the show, who was like a famous trumpeter before he invented a Snapchat analytics company. So, you know, we've had some, we've had some unusual backstories, but this is our first, uh, our first fencer that we know of. We don't know everybody's. Story. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Ted, I'm going to ask you the two questions that we've asked every single guest here on the Social Pros Podcast across our eight years in business and counting. Uh, before I do that real quick, I just want to remind uh, our guests of the message that I told you in the introduction that if you go to ataglance.com, ataglance.com, use the code SOCIALPROS, you'll get 20% off Echo Brands products, courtesy of Ted and his team. Thank you, Ted. That's very kind of you. Uh, Adam is already rushing to ataglance.com to fulfill his, his, uh, his day timer needs. I'm sorry, I was surfing. To, I was distracted there. Yes. JJ, say something? I'm, I'm going to buy so many staplers and then give away as holiday gifts. Now that I get to Trapper keepers for me. Trapper, trapper keeper. Try and get, you replace your Chewbacca trapper keeper. Ataglance.com. Uh, use the code socialpros, get 20% off. Okay, Ted, first question. What one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? Become fluent in analytics. Oh, yes. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm slow clapping Ted right now with my microphone uh, at, <laughs> muted because you are exactly right. Uh, we had Chuck Eman on the show a couple weeks ago, Adam, uh, who, who wrote the uh, new edition of the book, Digital Marketing. Volume Analytics. two, yeah. Uh, and boy, we had a great conversation about stats with, with Chuck and I think he and Ted would get along famously. Couldn't agree more. It's all about the math. Uh, and if it's not today, it will be soon. Ted, last question for you. If you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be? And I'm hoping Barack for a Obama. famous, oh, Barack Obama. I was hoping for a famous mm. fencer reference there, but, but uh, unfortunately, they, 
that none none was forthcoming. Uh, no. well, I guess Barack Obama is a famous fencer in in, in a number in, of ways. In, 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 in a, yeah, turn of phrase. Yeah. Yes, in turning uh, how you interpret that. Yeah. So your selection is Barack Obama. Why, Ted? I want to learn what he thinks of the world today. Well, and he thinks of the world today. And you are you are in suburban Chicago, of course, uh, yes. former President Obama, also a noteworthy uh, Chicagoan. So you have that in common as well. That would be great. We're gonna we're gonna one of these days. We've had a few people mention uh, President Obama to that question here on Social Pros. And one of these days, Adam Brown. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most more popular, I would say, uh, uh, responses to your question. Top two or three, for sure. Uh, Oprah we get, and uh, Elon Musk, and Richard Branson. I'd say those four would be the four that we get most often. Two Chicagoans out of four. Yeah. Uh, the best chance I think we're going to have to get Barack Obama on social pros is when and if your boss, Mark Benioff, books President Obama to keynote uh, Dreamforce uh, one fall, and then you can weasel in there and get him on the show. I will do my best. Yes. Okay. We, we had Michelle Obama at Dreamforce last year. I know. There you That's go. what I'm saying. So we were so close. We were, we were that that far away from getting Ted, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time and for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Love what you're doing at Echo Brands. Really fascinating story. We're all going to be watching to see how you spin up this new social program and and tell the stories of your long-standing brands uh, across the social universe and beyond. Thanks again. You're welcome, guys. Take care. Have a great day. You bet. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.